This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Oh, hi, hello, welcome. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby! And I'm your host, she who researches every imaginable source so that you don't have to live. Well, 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 here we are again, deep in Sophocles' tragedy, the Trachinii, the women of Trachis. The thing about Greek tragedy is, well... They're amazing. That's basically the whole thing. The plays are so complex and beautiful. They tell such incredibly universal stories, even these 2,500 plus years later. (sighs) I usually harp on Euripides because he's the best, and I will take no other opinions on the matter. But this play by Sophocles is really getting me. I mean, don't I say that every time? The plays, they're all incredible. And we're not stopping with this one because my man Euripides also wrote a story featuring Heracles. But that's for next month. Once again, I'm writing this episode in advance of when it's supposed to air, when the war in Ukraine is is still going. I, I don't know what next week will look like when this episode airs, so I want to explain that context. Also, another additional trigger warning given the state of the world. This episode deals with the after-effects of ancient warfare, an invasion, and destruction of a city for no good reason at all. Truly, I couldn't have picked a worse time to introduce this story, and yet, here we fucking are. 
Still, again, I don't go into the details, we just hear of what Heracles has already done and look at the effects of ancient war. But be mindful if you are particularly affected by the world's events. Now, now we're heading back into the story of Dianera, the tragedy of her marriage to Heracles, and the ways in which he makes her life much more difficult than it has to be. Seriously, why are the heroes so utterly ridiculous? We've got major Agamemnon vibes where we're at now. The herald for Heracles, Lycas, has returned to Trachis with news of Heracles' defeat over Eurytus and his city of Icalia. And with him, he's got Heracles' prisoners of war. Women from Icalia, including Ioli. Though Dianera doesn't know that yet. Where we last left Dianera, she had detailed her life up to that point. The horror she's had as she was meant to marry Achilles, the river, the reminder that Heracles defeated not only the river, but the centaur Nessus, though his bit of her story will be revisited before long. We hear that Dianera has basically spent the entire rest of her life worrying, just constantly worrying must be exhausting. Worrying for herself, for her son, for her husband, Heracles. And he gives her reason to worry, or he certainly did before he most recently left. He'd been gone before, performing his labors, doing whatever it is that a man like Heracles does all over the Greek world. But this time, when he'd last left her, he'd left her with a prophecy. A vague and confusing prophecy, but one that foretold either his death or his long life. It's not clear how either is supposed to go. It's just ominous. Last time he left her with instructions for if he died, what she should keep, what land is hers. Last time he left her was a year before we reaching her now. She hasn't heard from him since. Until this moment. Now, suddenly, she's told he's on his way back and he's defeated Ikalia, but as Lycus, the herald, has just told her, he wasn't in Ikalia the entire time that he was gone from her. No, there's much more to the story than Dianera understands. This is episode 158, Dianera, Ioli, and the Violence of Heracles' Love. Where we last left Dianera, she had asked the herald Lycas a question that little did she know would completely blow up her already anxious existence. Did he spend all that time besieging the city? All those unexpected delays, days beyond counting? No, says Lycas. No, he wasn't there the entire time. Most of his time away from you he spent with a woman in Lydia. 
Lycus goes on to explain the story of Heracles' time with Amphali, the Lydian queen to whom Heracles had been enslaved. He says that Heracles did this, lived enslaved to this woman for the year that he was meant to. And when that was over, when he'd been purified, that's when he moved on to Icalia. He had sworn to himself that after, when he'd been freed, he would punish the man most directly responsible for his imprisonment, Eurytus. And here we get a whole other version of the story of Heracles' encounter with Eurytus in Icalia and his enslavement to Amphale. One made for this play, one made to dramatize the story in the most intense of ways. But first, timeline check. According to Sophocles' version of this bit of Heracles' story, we can understand that all of Heracles' encounters with Eurytus, the Princess Aeoli, and obviously his enslavement to Amphale took place after he'd been married to Dianera on one of his trips away. He sounds like a fun and reliable husband, doesn't he? So Lycas continues. He explains to Dianera in a lengthy monologue how it all began, how Heracles found himself enslaved to Amphale and blaming Eurytus. He says that Heracles visited Eurytus's kingdom of Acalia as a guest friend, you know, the vitally important ancient Greek relationship of Xenia. Heracles had visited Eurytus, and there, Lycas says, Eurytus had started shit. <laughs> he says that even though they were old friends, Eurytus began badgering Heracles, saying, quote, Yes, Heracles' arrows are pretty hard to dodge, but my own sons are better at archery, and Heracles is a free man's broken slave. He's taunting the hero, suggesting he isn't as good at archery as Eurytus' sons, that he's a freed man's broken slave. It's a reference to Heracles' time completing his famous labors for Eurystheus. There are a lot of references to enslavement in this play, so far at least. Just little things like Dianera laughing about the enslaved woman having a good idea, Ugh. or this mention by Eurytus through Lycas's voice. It's just a not-so-subtle reminder that the ancient Greeks absolutely had enslavement. It was a huge part of their world and their economy, and we should never forget that in our love of these ancient people. We should always keep that in mind when we're admiring them. A reminder that they employed an enslaved class and what that says about their culture and their accomplishments. Still, this is about Heracles' time with Eurytus. Lycas continues, saying that Eurytus got drunk at a banquet and kicked Heracles out of his house. So later, when Eurytus' son Iphitus was passing through Tyrans, where Heracles happened to be, and Iphiclus was, quote, tracking his wandering horses on the hillside while he was looking the other way and his mind was on other things, Heracles threw him off the top of the citadel. This version is interesting because you would think it's trying to make Heracles sound better, but does it? It means there's no archery contest in Ecalia, just this boasting by Eurytus. There's no refusal of Ioli marrying Heracles after he's won. Nothing really wronging Heracles uh, besides Eurytus being a bit of a dick. And then when it comes to the death of Iphitus, it's much more intentional here than in the myth I told you recently. 
It's so on purpose that Heracles kills him. It's violent and premeditated. It's an actual, real murder. Not to say that this death wasn't important in the other version, but it was presented as much more of like an accidental killing on the part of Heracles. He flew into a murderous rage, unintentionally, versus this like plotting and throwing Iphitus off a tower when he wasn't looking. It's dark. And this, Lyca says, caused Zeus to fly into a rage and punish Heracles, force him to be enslaved to Amphale in Lydia for a full year. And now, Lyca says, all of these men involved are down in Hades. He's referring to Eurytus and anyone who sided with him, I suppose. And these women of Icalia have been taken away from their cushy, prosperous life to be brought here and enslaved themselves. It is not a good story. It does not make Heracles look good. I can't tell if it's meant to make him look good in the play. Like, does this sound like a noble experience to the ancient audience? I honestly wish I could answer that, but it is just, it's so dark. I mean, I know war was noble in some contexts then, and spoils of war were normal, but still. Everything about Heracles' actions and the consequences he forces on Eurytus seems so deeply, darkly over the top. Ironically, Lycas ends his story to Dianera by stating that Heracles had him bring these enslaved women back with the news and that he'll be home very soon himself. Lycas' last line is, quote, Nothing could be sweeter than this news. With this news of Heracles' victory and his imminent return, the chorus turns to Dianera, noting how happy she must be. Must I? She counters. She says that she knows she should be in a good mood at this news, that her manner should match the news, but she can't bring herself not to still worry that there is more to come, that tragedy still awaits them. From here, she turns to the enslaved women brought by Lycas, and she pities them. She recognizes their plight and the horror they must be experiencing. It's refreshing, particularly in light of what I mentioned earlier about the references to enslavement. Can you tell I'm reading this play as I write the script? It is my way. She turns to the women and speaks of their experiences, that she feels sad for them, that they must have been born free, and now they've seen their homes destroyed, they've been exiled, they're now, quote, wedded to a life of slavery. Then she turns, she speaks directly to them, she speaks directly to Ioli. She says, quote, you look especially miserable. Who are you? Were you unmarried or a young mother? Surely you were not born to know all this suffering. You're upper class. But of course, she doesn't allow Ioli to answer, or Ioli doesn't answer. Either way, Dianera turns to Lycas and asks him of this woman before her. Who is she? She asks him 
who were her parents. She notes that she pities this woman more than the others, that, quote, she's the only one who really understands. Lycas, though, knows nothing about this woman he's brought with him and doesn't remotely care to know. He explains simply that the woman hasn't spoken a word. He doesn't know anything. So with this, Dianera tells Lycas to be on his way to bring the women inside the house. She moves to follow them, but the messenger from earlier, he stops her. Stay here, he tells her. I need to speak with you away from these women being brought into your home. You haven't been told everything, he explains. There's many things you need to know. The messenger will only share this information with Dianera and her chorus of women. The others, Lycas and the enslaved women, must remain inside and away from this news that the messenger is about to share. The moment they're out of sight and he knows his words won't be overheard, he begins his news with a bang. Everything Lycas told you is a lie. He says that either Lycas is lying outright or he was lying earlier when he told an entirely different version of this story to a group of people. Either way, one version is all fucking bullshit. Dianera is confused by this. She tells the messenger to make himself known. Like, literally, dude, what are you talking about? It's like you're speaking in riddles. So the messenger continues and explains himself. I heard Lycas speak earlier, he says. Earlier, amongst many other witnesses. Lycas told an entirely different version of events. In that story, he says, Heracles waged the war against Acalia not because he was angry at Eurytus for his enslavement to Omphali, but because he had fallen in love with a woman, and he wanted her for his concubine, his lover, his wife. He literally tried to convince Eurytus that he should have her to, quote, share his bed. The implication here is clear. Heracles is knowingly married, wants this woman, whose name we haven't heard but we do know, to have on the side, and basically he said as much to Eurytus. Surprise, surprise, though, Eurytus wouldn't go for it. The messenger says, quote, Love was the god all by himself who cast a spell on him and drove him to put his spear to this. And this, this is why he waged war against Ecalia, the messenger says. This is why he invented the pretext, the anger at Eurytus over his time with Amphali, to invade the city, to wage war against it, to kill fucking everyone, and to take all these women home as hostages. But Ioli, meanwhile, he's brought out of love, apparently. Sounds like true love to me. The messenger tells Dianera bluntly, quote, Now he's sending her to this home. He has some plan in doing this, my lady, and it's not to use her as a slave. Don't expect that. It's not likely, seeing as how he is so hot with desire. This is it. 
your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. The messenger finishes giving this news to a Dianera that not only was Heracles in Ocalia out of a love and desire for another woman, the woman she'd just moments ago said she'd pitied and, and welcomed into her home, but Heracles waged an entire war and destroyed an entire city and killed so many because he wanted this woman. Not to marry, he's already married to Dianera. No, he just wants her. For sex, for love, for who knows what the fuck, especially because we have absolutely zero indication how Ioli feels about Heracles. And I'm willing to bet that considering he's just taken out her entire family and city, she's not that sexually attracted to him, let alone in love. But hey, Heracles is the son of Zeus, and this is ancient Greek mythology that Sophocles is working off of. Regardless, Dianera is fucking distraught. And do we blame her? Fuck no. The messenger tells her that he's sorry if she doesn't like this news, but it's the truth of what he heard. Dianera? Well, Dianera behaves as one might imagine. She's fucked up by it all. But still, she doesn't yet know who this woman is. This woman has no name? She asks the messenger. She says, like has told me he didn't know her name, that she hasn't spoken. But I've just welcomed her into my home. This woman who my husband did all of this for? Who is she? Dianera is, unsurprisingly, blaming Ioli for much of this. Or rather, not blaming her, but hating her for it. It's wrong, sure, but it's also pretty human. But still, the key for Dianera is, who the fuck is this woman? Well, the messenger is about to tell her. 
She is the daughter of Eurytus, he explains. She is the princess. Her name is Ioli. So, finally, Dianera can put a name to the face, to the news she's just been given, even if it's a name we all know well, Ioli. At this, the chorus pipes up with a well-timed and passionate statement, quote, Death and destruction to all liars and to anyone who secretly harms those who trust him. Death and destruction to all liars, presumably Lycas and Heracles among them. What should I do? Dianera asks her chorus of women, and she asks the messenger when they don't answer. Anyone, really. She needs help. She can't take in everything she's just learned, let alone decide what to do next. She's advised to speak with Lycas again, to press him for real answers, and maybe he'll relent and tell her the truth. His words are more officially Heracles's, as he's his herald, and he's seen this with his own eyes, rather than the messenger who's just overheard these two very different versions of the story. Fortunately, Diadera didn't need to follow him, because Lycas exits the house at that moment asking her what message she wants him to pass along to her husband, Heracles, who he's going to head out and return to. Why rush away? Dianera asks him. You arrived with this news so late, you need to give me time to ask you more, to celebrate it. Ask away, he replies. But will you tell me the truth? Dianera presses. Of course, he says, as though he's been telling the truth the whole time. Lycas is nearly as skeezy as Heracles himself. So, Dianera asks him again, Who was the woman I pointed out? Ayubian women, he replies. I-, I can't say anything more about her. But Dianera doesn't even get the chance to press him at this response. The messenger is there to jump in and defend her. He's a cool guy. I like him so far. He really wants Dianera to get the truth, and he's willing to be a dick to Lycas in order to get it out of him. Hey, do you know who you're talking to? He tells Lycas. Lycas is petulant in return, but finally he answers the question. I'm speaking with the ruler of this place, Dianera, daughter of Aeneas and wife of Heracles, he concedes. Then the pair shift into one of Greek tragedy's beautiful and classic moments of back-and-forth dialogue called Stichomythia, as I've told you before, where it's just this quick back-and-forth between characters that reveals so much. The messenger has Lycas confirm that Dianera is his master when Heracles is not there. She is his wife, and so he has a responsibility to tell her the truth. It's a really great back and forth, very confrontational, very much an interrogation of Lycas by the messenger. He trips him up, has him confirm he's required to tell Dianera the truth, has him say once again that he doesn't know anything about Ioli, only to then reveal that No, dude, he overheard you specifically telling others that not only does he know who she was, but that she is Ioli, the princess and daughter of Eurytus, now beloved by Heracles. Oh, it's so good. I wish I could just quote it all. Lycas is a real skis. He is absolutely just playing the part that Heracles asked him to. Lie through his teeth in order to make Heracles look good. To convince Dianera that this woman isn't now in her home because Heracles quote-unquote loves her slash generally just wants to have sex with her. Ugh, he's so good at lying. It's gross and fascinating and I love Greek tragedy so fucking much. Let's look at just some of this beautiful interrogation. 
direct quotes incoming between the two of them, the messenger and Lycas. Basically, it starts with the messenger calling him out. Like, no, I heard you say in front of a whole marketplace that this woman was Ioli, daughter of Eurytus, and is the reason Heracles sacked the city and brought her home. Then Lycas says, Yes, I did say that I had heard some of this, but it's not the same to report some opinion as it is to tell the story that's been proved. The messenger replies, What do you mean, opinion? Didn't you declare under oath that you were bringing the girl here to be Heracles' wife? I said, wife? By God, tell me, lady, who in the world is this person? He's not one of us. I was one of those who were there and heard you say that the whole city was conquered because of a passion for her, that the Lydian woman did not cause its downfall. It was love for her. Things are not looking good for Lycas. Or Heracles. But Lycas isn't done lying through his teeth on behalf of his super gross boss, Heracles. He follows this by still trying to get the two of them out of this mess. He tries to make the messenger sound crazy. Send this man away, he tells Dianera. Who is he anyway? Just here babbling away about nonsense. But Dianera isn't stupid. Why would the messenger lie about something so specific? Something that clearly had an answer that Lycas was hiding. This woman was clearly important, royal even, and Lycas had lied about it. Still, she appeals to him, begs him to tell her the truth. She says that she's not stupid. She knows what love is like and can't blame Heracles or Ioli for falling into it. It's human nature. It's normal for men to stray she says. Which, I mean, I, I'm so sorry you think that way, Dianera. You deserve better than Heracles, but then who doesn't? Her speech is touching and heartbreaking. She just wants to know the truth of it all. She doesn't sound surprised or shocked. Again, it's human nature, she says. Love is a tricky thing. Still, again, please do blame Heracles, Dianera, because as much as humanity can't control who they love, they can absolutely control whose city they attack and sack in the name of love. Heracles definitely had control of that. He definitely could have not destroyed a city and carried off a woman just because he thinks he loves her. That was well within his power. In fact, Dianera here implies that Heracles has taken on other women before, calling them other wives that this is not surprising for him. No, it's the how when it comes to Ioli. That's what concerns Dianera. She pities her more than any others. Dianera adds about Ioli, quote, Her beauty has destroyed her life, ruined her fatherland, enslaved her people. The exact same phrase she used to describe her own fear at the beginning of the play in last week's episode, she worried that her own beauty would destroy her life. And now here is evidence of that happening. It really, it says something about the lives of Greek women, but it isn't surprising. When the story of Helen is one of your most ancient and important myths, it would be so easy to convince yourself that your own beauty had the ability to cause death 
and destruction. What a weight to bear. And so, finally, finally, Lycas decides to tell Dianera the truth. It's all as this messenger has told you, he admits. It was Heracles' love for this woman that caused him to bring destruction upon Ecalia. It was in her name, and that is why she's here now. But, he says, in Heracles' defense, it wasn't actually him who told me to lie. Lyca says he only meant to protect Dianera. What an empty consolation. Dianera takes this in. It's only confirmation of what she already knew to be true. It had been easy to believe the messenger when he told her it. It just made so much sense. Let me go inside, she tells Lycas. I have letters to write that you will bring with you when you go back to Eubea. And, quote, Gifts also. I must match gift for gift. And you'll carry those. It wouldn't be fair for you to return empty-handed after bringing me such a procession. While Dianera is inside readying the things for Lycas to bring to Heracles, the chorus sings of her. They sing of her as this young woman, the men who sought to marry her. They sing of the way the men fought over Dianera, her beauty, her love. On the one side, a river god, a bull of a man, and on the other, the son of a god, a man and his club, Heracles. They sing of their fight, of how it went down, of how Dianera stood at the sidelines just waiting to see who would prevail, and thus who she would marry. They sing, in essence, of the complete lack of control she has had in her own life and her own fate since day one. And then, then Dianera comes out of the house and she's holding a box. She's alone with the chorus, and she calls them together. She tells them what she's been thinking of, what her life looks like now. She knows what Heracles intends. His gift to her for having taken care of his home for all these years, for having borne him children, for having had a life with him, his gift is another woman in their home, in their bed, in their marriage. Heracles has had other women on the side, that much Dianera is clear about, and it never bothered her. It was one thing to visit other women, to sleep with other women, to have children by other women. It's an entirely different thing to bring another woman into their home and expect her to be a part of their marriage. Dianera is so reasoned, so calm, so clear in what she's saying and how she feels. She's pragmatic. She knows that as she's married to a man like Heracles, there was always going to be other women. But another woman in their home can't be tolerated. She knows she's getting older, that Ioli is young. She knows that Heracles will grow to prefer Ioli, and she will be set aside. And that she can't deal with. She can't handle it. She is, though... 
so kind to Ioli as a person. She seems to recognize that this likely isn't what Ioli imagined for her life either. That they are both just pawns in Heracles' attempts to have whatever he wants, whenever he wants it. They're just caught up in his world, his lies, his narcissism. Because if Heracles is anything, it's a narcissist. At this point in her speech, Dianera explains what she holds within this box. Quote, I have had a gift for a very long time. An old monster gave it to me, and I have kept it well hidden in a bronze urn. Then she tells the women of her experience with Nessos. I was just a girl then, she says, and my father had just given me in marriage to Heracles. As we were leaving my homeland, we came upon the river, Evanus, where the centaur Nessus brought me across. But, she tells them, halfway across the river she felt his hands touch her where they shouldn't, and she let out a scream. In an instant, Heracles heard her cry and shot Nessus through with an arrow. As he was dying, she explains, he told her that as his last crossing he would bestow upon her a gift. If she gathered his blood from around the wound, the wound from the arrow poisoned with the hydra's blood, and, quote, use this as a charm on the mind of Heracles, so he will never see a woman he loves more than you. I really want to give Dianera the benefit of the doubt here, but it also seems like Nessos made it pretty clear what this actually was. I mean... Sure, he said to use it as a charm, but he also reminded her that he'd just been killed by one of Heracles' arrows, and Heracles' arrows are very specifically poisoned with the blood of the Hydra? Still, Dianera knows this to be a love charm, and she says she did as Nessos said, and then she tucked away Nessos' blood, keeping it safe all this time. And with this, she opens the box that she holds and she shows the chorus a robe, which, she says, has been smeared with the centaur's blood, just as he'd advised her. Finally, she says, quote, If charms and gentle love spells will win Heracles and somehow let me overcome that girl, then the work is ready to be done. But only if you don't believe it's wrong. If so, I'll stop. Oh, Dianera, you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. Or honestly, maybe she does. She gives the chorus this moment to stop her, to tell her this is a bad idea. But they don't. They tell her they trust her judgment. She says, yes, I'm sure in my decision. But all the same, I've never actually tested this charm. But the chorus replies that, well, you never know until you try. This is you testing the love charm. And so finally, Lycas returns to Dianera, asking if she's got everything ready for him to bring to Heracles. She does. And with that, she hands him the box and tells him that Heracles, and only Heracles, is to wear the clothing contained within that box. Oh, nerds, nerds, nerds. I love this play. 
I'm sold on Sophocles. It's so good and interesting and beautiful. And flaws aside, I love Dianera. And gods, there's so much more of her to come. So much more complexity and just, oh, oh, she's so interesting. She's so tragic. She's so unique in this world of women of tragedy. She's no Medea. And she's no Clytemnestra. Her role is something so much more tragic. She's as much a part of this tragedy as... Well, I won't spoil it. Next week, the conclusion of Sophocles' Trachinii. Gods know that love charm robe is coming back to haunt us. Oh, Dianera, what have you done? As always, truly thank you so much for listening. I love that I still have so many plays that I haven't covered on the show, let alone myths themselves, or myths that deserve more complete and detailed retellings. There's so much more content. There's so much more to say, to look at, to theorize about. Oh, it's so fun. A reminder to please, if you haven't already, leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. Both are very helpful and mean a lot. I get emails with every Apple review. I read them all. It's such a thrill. And now you can rate the show on Spotify too, so go ahead and give me five stars over there, would you? Let's continue to build this weird and wonderful world of Greek myth. And speaking of, ages ago I decided to start reading reviews and then, well, I forgot because... That's ADHD, you know? Anyway, here's one that made me smile this week. This five-star review is by Sociable Sam on Apple Podcasts, and his title is, well, it's none other than our perfect alternative name to Ovid's Ars Amatoria, as coined by Dr. Jeremy Swist, Gatekeep Gaslight Girl Boss. And the review reads, This podcast is constantly evolving and always serves exactly what needs to be said, giving a new look to classic mythology and bringing it into the 2020s never miss an episode that was really nice thank you this is exactly what i'm trying to do is like evolve and change and and be bringing you more and more in depth and better research and everything better every time and it's a thrill and again all the love and support to my ukrainian listeners both in the country and now more likely outside of it your love for your country is very admirable A reminder, I did record this a week early, so gods know it's changed, but my sentiments remain the same, I'm sure. And to the Russians protesting and speaking out, your bravery is also being noticed by the world. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is written and produced by me, Liv Albert. Michaela Smith runs my YouTube account where episodes are being uploaded and captions are being added. Michaela also handles promotional images and so, so, so much more. Michaela is a lifesaver. The podcast is hosted and monetized by Acast. I am Liv and I love this shit. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today 
at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.